Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you. Can we welcome all of our campuses, Appleton, Brookfield, Milwaukee, Germantown, online? I love the statement that the mom made on the video. People make a difference with people. Nothing works like the local church works, and the local church works the way the local church is designed to work. And uh, when people see Jesus, they're going to see Jesus not in Birkenstocks and a robe with a blue sash, right? Or in some, you know, are you tracking with me or no? Okay. Um, probably not in a vision because you're here. They're going to see him in you. And what Teresa is doing at uh, Life Center is amazing. We have a waiting list. Uh, truth be told, I am looking for additional properties in the Milwaukee area so that we could do an indoor gym and parking lots, and we are literally out of space, which is a great problem to have. Now, I'm not setting you up for anything today. Don't go, here he goes. I've been here before. I know how this song plays. No, 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 no. I'm just, it's just great. And your love and what you're doing and your giving and your going of your time and your talent and your treasure just makes a difference. And you make a difference because people make a difference. Today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. You're actually, if you've never, if you haven't read an entire chapter of Scripture, you will be able to say that today that you have because we're going to do that. All six verses. Isn't that awesome? Some of those are like really, really, really long. This is one of those that are really, really, really short. And um, I want to talk to you today about direction determines destination. It's not a new phrase. I didn't coin the phrase. Wish I had. Uh, but it's so true, and this passage talks about this. So today, if you are frustrated with your Christian walk, I'm glad you came today. I think that God's Word is going to motivate you and inspire you and give you fuel for the journey. If today you are are, are on that Christian walk and, and things are good, I think today will just be more Keep it up, way to go, at a boy, at a girl, just, it'll just be more, more encouragement to you. If you're in a season right now where you're kind of going, I don't know which way to go. I don't really know what I should be or how I should be or what way is up. It's a great message because I think today I'm going to give you some five questions to ask yourself. Not for me to answer, for you to answer, just five questions from God's word that I think will be okay. Okay, Wow. And, and, and I think the other thing, too, is maybe you're at a place where you're far away from God. Maybe you're in a rebellious season where somebody made you come to church today and you don't want to be here and been there, done that. Uh, and uh, today, I think it's just five questions. Ask yourself these five questions. It's your life. It's your story. But, but the truth is, is that direction, not intention, I used to have an art teacher that every time I would turn in these assignments and we'd have these, these um, uh, in high school, I would do all types of free, freehand graphic art. And I loved watercolor and colored pencil. Meeting those two mediums together were some of my favorite. And we'd have to get this ready for these state competitions and stuff. And I always would procrastinate my work. And, and I would always come in with these answers. And it probably is no surprise to you that I would, could kind of talk my way in and out of just about anything. And she would always say to me, Aaron, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I was like, that's a little heavy for an art project. Don't you think so? But okay. But the truth is many times it's not our intentions that are the problem. It's our direction. 
I, I want to get where I want to go. I, I really do want to be here. I really do want to live this life. I really do want to serve God. I really do want to raise a godly family. I really do want to marry a godly person. I, I really do want to love Jesus. I really do want to do the right thing. I really do want to serve. And I, It's not an issue with intention. It's my direction. Because the direction, not the intention of my life, will always equal, will always determine the destination. Wherever I am today, it's a composite of the directional pattern, the trajectory of my life. 1983, Korean Air Flight 007 departed from Anchorage, Alaska. It was headed for a direct flight to Seoul, Korea. Little did the flight crew and the pilot know that the navigational system contained a one and a half degree routing error. So upon the departure from Anchorage, it was unnoticeable. A hundred miles into flight, it was still undetectable. But once out over the Pacific, the error and the error was now picked up by Soviet radar. And the Soviets dispatched the jet, thinking it was a hostile enemy aircraft. And the 747 was shot down and all 269 passengers and crew perished for a one and a half degree routing error. Small error at the point of departure resulted in a tragic trajectory that ultimately ended in a destructive finish. Psalm chapter one gives us two paths, two directions, resulting in two totally different endings. And we kind of unpack this five questions, this checklist right from this. So if you have your Bible, I want you to take it and, and Psalm chapter one, Verse number one says this, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. For he will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Five questions, a checklist, if you would, for measuring our direction, because our direction ultimately determines our destination. First question. You take a note, you write it down. Do I walk in the counsel of the wicked? Do I walk in the counsel of the wicked? Whenever my feelings or my emotions, the advice of friends urge me to do what is inconsistent with God's word, I'm presented with the quote unquote counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked, it's simply choosing to live outside of God's stated will as expressed in the Bible and the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit. The operative word in that question is not wicked, it's walk. The word walk denotes that I'm following along, I'm going along with, I'm not completely committed, but I am complicit in my choice and in my action. 
I'm just going to try something for a while. I'm, I'm just going to check this path out. I'm, I'm just going to kind of go and hang out here for a while. I'm just going to do this. I'm, I'm just going to be around these people. They're not really going to affect me. I, I, I just kind of want to see what they're about. I, I just, you know, may, maybe, maybe this walk of righteousness, maybe this way I've been raised in church, may, maybe what Aaron is saying, maybe the Bible really isn't all that. Maybe there's more to it. Maybe I've checked my brains at the door. I'm not committing necessarily, but I'm going to try this out. I'm going to go to this party. I'm going to go to this event. I'm going to try to do this. What does it hurt that I watch this or that I'm here or that I'm there? Whatever that may mean, my feelings, my emotion, the advice of friends urge me to do what's inconsistent with God's word. Let me say this. Even in today's day and age, there's an ideology that's going around the church in America, and it's not new. Matter of fact, I'm probably going to do a complete sermon message or series on this, because if you read the book of Jude, which is written within 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Jude is warning us of the exact same issues. It's called deconstructive theology. Deconstructive theology basically says, let's just take the Bible, and let's take the entire Old Testament. It's just a historical document. Now, I encountered a professor in my graduate studies that, uh, well, he and I, we had a really great conversation. You would have enjoyed it. It would have been one of those, like, get a Diet Coke and a, and, and a bag of Funyuns or a box of popcorn and just watch it. Because it, it was like when he said the Old Testament is just a historical document. It has no relevance or pertinent to your life today. I was like, what? Like, rewind the tape. You know what I'm talking about? Remember the mixtapes back in the day? What did you just say? Well, yes, it's just historical document. Better, better. No, 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 no. It, it's, it's the basis. Jesus says, so the law, which would have been the law that God gave Moses, the Levitical law, we, we read it in the Old Testament. Jesus said he didn't come to do away with, but to fulfill it. Now, that doesn't mean I have to, like, thank God that Jesus came because I can have barbecue. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Mission barbecue today for lunch. I'm just telling you. God bless America. They say they pledge allegiance every day at noon, and then you get to dig into some great pork with whatever kind of dressing you want on it. Hallelujah. I'm all about the Memphis Bell, but let's just keep talking. My point is, is that Jesus doesn't, he, we're not living under all the restraints because he fulfilled the law, but it's still there. They want to lob that off. Then everything that Paul writes about, you know why they don't want to do with Paul? Because Paul gets all up in your kitchen. Look at Corinthians. Those people were Pentecostal people. They were crazy people. They were lifting their hands, but they were living like sin during the week and having all kinds of crazy sexual orgies. I'm not coming up with this. It's, some of you are like, that's in the Bible? Read it. I'm just telling you, you might want to wait till you give your kids a Bible at first grade. I'm just saying, it's all in there. So, so this is all happening. They go, let's just cut Paul completely out. Tell you what, let's just go back to just what Jesus said. Now, is that wrong? No, except for John says that everything Jesus said and did while he was on the planet, we don't, the world does not contain enough space to contain the books. So what that means is you and I are getting a very concentrated essence of what he said. So now it just goes down to this, let's just do this which becomes convenient because there are certain things, well, Jesus didn't say or he did say or I can interpret this or that and blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to tell you, 
I know this is old school, but as I, as I believe, there's no school like the old school. Amen? I believe it from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where God created the heavens and the earth, all the way to the maps. In the very back, you got the maps? You know what I'm talking about? The maps at the back? I believe it all. And, and, and I'm okay with a God who does some things that are supernatural. I'm kind of pretty cool with that. So you kind of go, well, how do you explain Jonah and the whale? I can't. Did I tell you I'm from Arkansas? I'm glad to have a full set of teeth and a pair of shoes. Right? I mean, I, I, I've got an earned doctorate. I, I get that. I'm, I'm educated. I, I'm not stupid. I don't believe I should check my veins, brains out the door. But I just believe that if God wanted to speak the world into existence in seven days, just as the Bible says, he can. If he can do the virgin birth, he can do anything. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is not rocket science to him. It is to me. And so, so what I say that is, if we're not careful, as you begin to read scripture, you can talk about, you know, am I, the counsel of, of the wicked is choosing to live outside the stated will of God. And we can begin to, our world wants us just to reduce the stated will of God. And you know the reason why? Because society goes, well, that's no longer, and that's no longer, and that's no longer, and that's not cool, and that infringes upon our rights. And let's keep talking about this because we go to the second question. Do I stand in the way of sinners? Stand in the way of sinners. Verse 1. Standing means I'm taking a fixed and steady position. Now, I used to read this and think, standing in the way of sinners, you're kind of ridiculing sinners. You're kind of making it hard for sinners to come to faith. You're kind of, maybe you're being Sadduceical or Pharisaical. You're kind of being religious. And, and it's not what it means at all. It means I progressed past walking with the wicked. Now I'm beginning to take on their point of view. Now I can be counted to stand up for my wrong choices and justify my sinful behavior and theirs. I'm now committed to the way of the sinner's path. Mm. I've gone from, I'm going to check something out. I'm going to try something out. I'm just going to show up at the party. I'm just going to go along for a little bit. I'm just curious, however you want to frame it, to, and I'm walking with, I'm hanging around with, to now I'm standing with, standing up for, speaking up for, See the progression? Again, this isn't my answer. The question for you to ask yourself is, do I stand in the way of sinners? Where the world's going, is that where I stand? On the issues, is that where I stand? Oh, it's really good, Tammy. You and I, are, we're, we're together on this one. Hey, man. I'm going to say something, and I hope I don't offend you, and I don't mean to offend you, but I've wrestled with this as a pastor, especially in the last two years. When I grew up in the 80s, I watched the church really get involved in politics. Somebody just said, Margaret, he just said politics, and everybody just paid attention. <laughs> and when that happened, it really backfired, especially on the evangelical church, especially the white evangelical church. For some, there's many reasons historically, but the black church in America and politics have always been connected and together. Quite frankly, the white church at the turn of the, of, the, of the 1900s, politics, white, black, whatever, it didn't matter, was all connected. That's a whole other conversation. But we progressed to this point, and so what happened is if, if an issue in the 90s became political, you stayed away from it. And I'm cool with that. 
Because quite frankly, uh, I don't think I or anybody else should tell you how to vote or what to do. I think you're, you're smart people. Um, I'm not a king. I don't have a kingdom. I don't have people, right? Somebody's, well, are your people doing this? I don't have people. I have two daughters that don't listen to me. Like, I, I don't have people. I don't know what you're talking about, okay? Old King Cole, that does not exist in my world. So you kind of try to stay out of it because, again, it's, I know that there are people at Life Church that are Democrats. Great. There are people at Life Church that are Republicans. Great. There are people that are independents. Great. It doesn't. But so you figure that out. And, and, and I do believe, if, if you remember back at our revival last fall, we had Sammy Rodriguez. And, and Sammy talks about, he wrote a book on this, about the, the agenda of the lamb. Where we should not live under the agenda of the, the donkey, the Democrats, or the agenda of the elephant, the, the, the Republicans. We should live under the agenda of the lamb. That's the highest calling that we have. And, and I believe that. I really do. I, I believe that. And I believe when you, when you live that way, according to Scripture... You'll obey the laws of the land. You'll, pay for the, you'll, you'll, you'll pray for the authorities and for people and for all of that that are, that are in government over you, regardless if you agree with them or you disagree with them. Matter of fact, if you disagree with them, it's probably you need to pray for them even the more. Amen? We, we should do that. At the same time, what happens is, is that in an attempt to try to not get political, especially the evangelical church in America, we became silent when there became moral issues. Because... Moral issues became politicized, therefore I can't speak to this because one party or the other has an opinion. I'm wrestling with that. I'm dealing with that. Now, you got to remember, I grew up in a blue dog Democratic household. Like, I used to cut the lawn for the local UAW every week. Like, I, I mean, my dad was an arbitrator for the union. Like, I, I get this. And uh, so I'm like, okay, let's walk this. And we're good. And about the most heart palpitations you'd have would be about the time of, a, you know, of, of an election season, especially a presidential election season, because you want to be careful what you said, but you also wanted to inform people, say, look, you need, you need to go back to what does God's word say, and this is how we walk this out. And ultimately, if you really believe that God's in control, the Bible says that, that the hearts of the king he holds in, their hand, in his hand, and he turns them wherever he wants. And I know some of you don't believe that because you just kind of disconnect it, but I just believe God's still in control of the whole enchilada. I just, again, again, Genesis to the maps. That's how I believe it. So anyhow, but we've gotten to a day and age where everything gets politicized, even morality. And so now I'm put into a position to where am I going to speak up or am I going to keep my mouth shut? Am I going to stand up for what I think is right and what I think God's word says, very clearly, not my interpretation, very clearly, or am I going to be quiet? And so I have come to a fast realization that I did not ask to be in the ministry. Quite frankly, I wanted to be you, especially right now. I wanted to be you. I wanted to be a good businessman. I wanted to love the Lord, love my wife, raise my family, support the work of the church, do what I could do, support the pastor and pray for the pastor, but I was going to go make a lot of money and just bless a lot of people. That's really, that was my plan, but that was not God's plan. Okay. But as I watch and I see agendas that are beyond politics, these are not agendas of the Democrats or the Republicans or independents. These are agendas from the very pit of hell. And they began to emerge. And you, at some point, I can't be silent anymore. 
If I can really be honest, I'm, I'm like just a couple of steps away from, from trying to follow Billy Graham, and I'm going to get me, myself a three-piece polyester suit and a tent, and we're going to start doing crusades. Not really, so don't go like, oh, he has lost his, no, 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 no. I like air conditioning. I like what I'm wearing. But I'm just, my point is, is that we have to be careful because what happens in our world is that you got to take a stand somewhere. And the words of the great theologian, the old country music hall of fame song, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. Ooh, somebody back over here is like, yes, let's go. Boot, scoot, and boogie. All right. So my point, though, is you got to stand. And this is what the Bible's saying. You're going to stand with the sinner or you're going to stand with the righteous. And so, again, everybody chooses for themselves. You're not stupid. You're not, you're not ignorant. You're not, my, my job is not to tell you what to do. My job is to present this word hot and fresh every week to build you and to encourage you and to, and, and to equip you to thoroughly do the works that God has for you. But it's your responsibility. But the question you have to ask yourself, am I standing with the sinners? Well, how do I know that? Well, What's your position? I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about on moral issues of the day, choices you're making of the day, what you do with your time, talent, and treasure of the day. And that's your business, your social media. Where does it stand? What do you have? Because every time you're identifying with this and you're standing with somebody, who are you standing with? Well, I don't think it's binary. Again, we're going to get to this in a minute. I'm so glad you went there. We're going to get to this in a minute because the Bible says it is. Let me keep going because I'm blowing some of your circuits. Third question, do I sit in the seat of mockers? Do I sit in the seat of mockers? Sitting is is a posture which is finalized. I now refuse to be uprooted. I now remain fixed in my seat. I scorn and ridicule those seeking God's will and his way. And ultimately, my departure from God becomes so extreme that I become a critic of God and of others. And I am now public and I advertise my position and the path that I'm taking. Man, I'm preaching good. My mother was here on the front row. She'd be waving a white hanky. Do I sit in the seat of mockers? Where do you sit? Who are you sitting with? Your choice. You see how you just kind of, I'm almost going to take a stroll. I'm going to walk. No, you're not. What did your parents used to tell you when you were a kid? You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. We all hated that. We'd say we'd never say that until you had teenagers. And you say the exact same thing. Because it's true. I go from walking to standing. Now I've sat in it. I'm taking a seat. I'm taking a position. And in the midst of the adversarial path, the psalmist presents now God's standard. And he asks us question number four. Do I delight in the law of the Lord? We're just in verse two, folks. Do I delight in the law of the Lord? The law, that's God's word, the word of God, the Bible, right here. Will you hold in your hand digitally or physically? The law is God's standard in which we, the creation, are created to live by. Dr. George O. Wood says it this way when you talk about wrestling with this question. In the depths of depression, hurt, or rebellion, I may resent God's standard. 
I felt like that before. There's times this word says you shouldn't do this, and I want to do that. You ever been there? If you, if you say you haven't, you're lying. I'm just telling you, we all have. He goes on to say, I may feel it infringes upon my happiness as a person. It intrudes upon my options. It loads me down with expectations that I neither want nor feel I can obey. Been there. He goes on to say, were it not for the grace of God, I could never delight in his law. Because the key here is this. The key is in choosing to obey the Lord, choosing to obey his word, choosing to obey and choosing to delight in his law. Even when it feels like discipline, even when it feels rough, even when it goes against the grain of my flesh, because his word says so, I'm going to conform to his word and not expect his word to conform to me. I'm going to live in his word and not try to deconstruct my theology so that it fits me. I'm going to choose to obey him. And and in obeying him, that joy progressively begins to come as I begin to see what he is up to in my life. So at this point, I must trust. At this point, I must believe. At this point, I must put my faith in the Lord and in his word. I must lean so heavily on this book that if it were to move, I would fall. I'm telling you, read the book of Jude. 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, those people saw it physically for themselves. They're introducing deconstructive theology and all kinds of forms of faith that that basically void itself from who God is. This isn't a 21st century issue. This is a human issue. This is the work of the enemy that goes about seeking like a going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, trying to steal, kill, and destroy everything from your life. Because God's word says you shouldn't do this, and your flesh says that you want to. And Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8 says there's this struggle inside of me, and so I have to make a decision. And I've got to lean into discipline of God's word, and it doesn't feel good in the moment. And I may even resent it a bit in the moment, and I feel like it infringes upon my happiness in the moment. And maybe it does. Until all of a sudden, I began to lean into it and walk it out and give it time to processively produce the joy that God's word says. And then all of a sudden, it's like, man, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I said no to that. I'm glad I said yes to that. But none of us are perfect. So what do we need? Grace. Grace. Unmerited, undeserved favor of God. I'm not perfect. God's standard is here. God's standard is here. And here I am on my best day. And all of this is a gap that I cannot measure. I cannot make up. I can't be good enough, smart enough, fast enough, nice enough to make up this difference. So what makes this up? Grace. It's by grace that I've been saved. It's been grace that I've been able to get to God's standard. Not by my works, not by my actions, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's where the law says, this is what's deserved. So Jesus comes and he pays the price for my sins and meets the measure of the law. So if I follow Jesus and I follow his commandments and I follow his word, and what is he following? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way through to the maps at the end of the book. That's what he's following. If you really want to get down to it, it's 
especially when we talk about, let's just follow Jesus. You have to wrestle with John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And then the word became flesh. So technically before this Bible was ever penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the voice of God to the men of old who wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, before people ever walked the planet, this book existed before it ever existed. Does that just blow your cerebral cortex? Yes. But that's what it says. Whoo. Let me get on. I got to land this plane. Number five, the fifth question. Do I meditate continually on his law? Do I meditate continually on his law? Do I reflect upon his word? That's what that means. It doesn't mean that you're reading the Bible 24-7. Please look at me. There are golf courses to play, right? There are lakes to go water ski. Can I get a witness in them? There are critters to go hunt in the wilderness for some of you that like to do that. There are deals to get at the mall. Ladies, amen. Right, there are places to eat. Already introduced. I just set some of you free. Mission Barbecue, Blue Mountain Road. I'm just telling you, God bless America. It's all here. I mean, there are... What that means is that I am in a rhythm of regularity of memorizing his word, studying his word, processing his word, thinking about his word, and integrated it into my life. Thereby, I began to find stability. I began to find healing and restoration. See, these, the answer to these five questions will determine your destination. I didn't write it. He writes it. If you look back again at the first few verses, if I forsake the postures of walking and standing and sitting with the wicked, and I embrace the waiting on the Lord and delighting in and meditating on his word, then my life becomes like, verse 3, like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, which means it never dies. And all that I do prospers. That's the life I want. How do I get that? By forsaking the postures of walking and standing and sitting with the wicked, wicked, by embracing waiting upon the Lord and delighting and meditating on his word. And if I reject that by choice, by action, by whatever, then I become what the Bible says, the wicked, who in the end, according to scripture, the wicked are lightweight persons of really no real substance or depth of character because they're rootless, they're weightless, they're useless. That's harsh. I didn't write it. Look at verse four and five. For the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So ultimately, there's two ways. There's two paths. There's two directions. Bi, meaning two. Binary. There's not three. There's not four. There's not five. There's two. But I'm wrestling with the third option. I'm wrestling with the fourth. I, I get it. There's an enemy of your soul that goes around. There's your own flesh that wants to push itself against God's word. And that's your question. Psalm Chapter one, verse six says, for the Lord knows 
the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's only two ways. So today, your direction, not your intention, will determine your destination in life. Where are you headed? Which path are you walking down? When you answer those questions, which one are you, I'm not asking about perfection, but which one are those are you striving towards? Are you walking with, standing with, sitting with, at any point with the wicked? Or do you find your delight in the Lord? And in Him, you meditate. You process, you think day and night. You lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, you'd fall. I want to pray for you today. Every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would. If you're here today and you're far away from God, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to call you out, but I do want to give you an opportunity. If you're on that way of the wicked and you want to get on the way of the righteous, Paul says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, I will be saved. That's how I get on the right path. If you're here today, every head bowed and every eye closed, you go, Aaron, that's me. I'm on the way of the wicked, but I wanna be on the way of the righteous. I wanna know that God and I are in right relationship. I wanna confess my sins and give it to him. And I want to live my life for him, but I'm not doing that this morning, but I wanna do that. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hand high enough for me to see it up and back down. Thanks. Somebody else, thanks. Anyone else, thanks. Anyone else, thanks. Someone else. I just want to give you a moment. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to take long. I just want to give you a moment. Thank you. Anyone else? That's where you are. It's between you and the Lord. This is not my answers. Here's what I want to do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you. And the Bible says when you believe the prayer that you're praying, when you believe that God is your salvation through Jesus Christ, his son, and you believe and you give your sins and you ask him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your heart and into your life. He will come into your heart and come into your life. He will forgive you of your sins. And you can know that you are now on the way of the righteous. You're on the right path. And you have forsaken the walking, the standing, and the sitting with the wicked. I'm going to ask those of you that have prayed this prayer before to lend your voice with those people that are praying this prayer for the very first time. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I come before you and I denounce the way of the wicked. And I ask for you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin, my unrighteousness, and the wicked path I've been on. And I choose to follow you, Jesus, and the path of righteousness. I ask you forgive me of all my sins, that you would cleanse my heart, and that your grace would make me right before the Lord. I believe that you, Jesus, are the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and rose from the grave for my sins, just like the Bible says. I surrender myself to you today in Jesus' name, amen. Father, I just pray for every person that prayed that prayer.
I pray that the joy of the Lord would just flood their heart. That's what your word says will happen. That the peace of God that passes understanding would rule and umpire them. And that the sin that's lifted and the grace that fills their heart now, God, would just bring joy overflowing. I pray, God, you put a hedge of protection around them. I pray, Lord, as they walk this out and they journey this out in these upcoming days and weeks, that that relationship with you, that that way of righteousness would be so joy-filled that you would confirm your salvation. It's not mine. It's yours, Lord, over and over and over again in ways, God, that cannot be denied. I thank you for this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give God praise for people that made a decision to follow? Amen.